A note, a note from, from our, our producers. producers. So you might notice that this is not the divine lady. The divine. This is not the divine lady. If if you are listening to this in the future, this might not matter to you because we might have done it and kind of back edited it into the feed. The reason being that this movie is apparently so bad that nobody has it anywhere on the internet where we can find it. Yeah, so it came out on DVD in 2009 and seems to have been uploaded to the internet kind of scantily. However, was harshly taken down by by Warner Brothers who... Who are not posting it anywhere and seem to be very ashamed. It's not streaming on anything. It's not available for purchase anywhere except on DVD. The only place we could find it is in Spanish on YouTube, which is possible, but... It seems like an inaccurate way to judge the film, if yeah. nothing else. Like, I want to I, I wanna judge this movie on... Like, its own 2% Rotten Tomatoes score, but... Not, not, not also a language barrier. So because we couldn't find it anywhere... We don't want to buy and own this movie. Yeah. Yeah. But if somebody wants to gift us this movie... Yeah, contact us on Twitter. point us to a local library that has it. But until then, we're just going to keep keep on trucking, and we're going to move on to the next year. The year is still 1930, actually. Mm, it is still 1930. In 1930, Babe Ruth made more than the U.S. president. His salary was $80,000. The president of the United States at the time made $75,000. And when he was asked about it, he said, well, I had a better year. And on February 23rd of 1930, all quiet on the Western Front is banned throughout Germany. Really? Yep. Oh my god. It's banned from all schools. Time on it pictures presents All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, I am your host, Mavis Evergreen. I will try to come at things from a feminist and socialist perspective. LGBTQ has really nothing to do with this movie. In general, I'll try to do that as well. Yeah, my name is Andy Reyes. I will be playing the part of history teacher for this episode, as well as talk about kind of some very pertinent socialist issues that this movie touches on that I think are very important. Do you want to uh, summarize, sir? All Quiet on the Western Front is a 1929 war epic directed by Lewis Milestone and starring Lewis Wolheim and Lou Is Ayers. Set against the backdrop of the German war effort during World War I, we follow nine or so boys as they are taken under the wing of Papa War, cats. They cry, starve, harass women, share boots, and laugh. They also learn that war is bad, actually, and they learn this by all dying. Accurate. The first thing this movie does, and the first thing I want to talk about, is that this movie starts off with a thesis statement. It has an opening kind of like, we are here to do this thing. And you know what? I wish more movies did this. It's precise, it's to the point, and I have like a very good way of accurately measuring the movie now. Like, did it I, do what it set out to do? I would really like it if Batman v Superman had opened up with, we're going to make you hate this character forever. So, the opening thesis statement is, and I found out this actually is in the book as well, this story is neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all an adventure. For death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. 
It will try simply to tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped its shells, were destroyed by the war. And to kind of jump to the end of the punch there, I do think this movie accomplishes that. It is an anti-war film. It wears that very on its sleeve. It, it has multiple points in the movie where characters sit around and talk about how war is bad. And they, they do this in a variety of different ways from, oh, like war is pointless to war doesn't make any sense to war is cruel. And, and kind of finally, like it, it culminates in just like, because there is no room for life in war, there is no room for learning from it, right? Yeah. This movie really focuses on the stagnation that happens when you are at war and specifically like in these children's lives mm -hmm. that like these 16 year old boys are still 16. Like the lessons they've learned from war aren't useful anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And in fact, have like furthered them from being able to live in society. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know, it's it's interesting because the movie kind of simultaneously takes the stance of, like, these children have lost their childhood, but also they haven't become adults. Well, right? I'll have you know that these, they become men. They become men. Well, that In a very happen. specific scene. Oh, well, I mean, anyone can become a baby. So I do I do want to talk a little bit about some, like, historical context for, at least for World War One. World War One is a really weird point in history. A lot of things happen in the aftermath of World War One that shaped the world we live in today and are the reason why the world we live in today is the way it is. It established a lot of things that led to, you know, the colonization of the global south, um, the, both the Americas and Africa and even some parts of uh, East Asia and the Pacifics. A lot of that stuff happened pre and post World War One, the concept of nationalism had really come to a rise right immediately before and especially in the aftermath of World War One. But one of the things I think is very important, and I think is very important to this movie, is that until World War One, Europe had not seen an active war effort for 40 years. The end of the Napoleonic War was pretty much the last major battle front that was wide scale in, in the sense that like all of the European powers participated. There had been small battles here and there, but by and large, no person in, in any military in Europe had been to war. Nobody, it, it was no longer in living memory. And the people who were still alive who could remember it were like in their 60s, right? And so you had a lot of people who still saw war as it was during the Napoleonic era, as being this noble thing, as being a place where, you know, like soldiers are forged and honor is the thing that matters. So when World War One started, a lot of inventions were kind of done on the spot. Things like trench warfare, the idea of like total war and scorched earth tactics like machine guns didn't exist the last time there was a major war in Europe. And so a lot of something that kind of kept happening to German, to the Germans specifically, is that they would just try to do these like very basic, like we're going to put all of our men in a square and then run them in a straight line at this machine gun and hope it works out. And like it doesn't and it never does. Right. It was a horrible, bloody thing that nobody who was in charge of it knew what war had become in the 40 years that it hadn't been waged. And also, 
it was kind of a war that had no point. Yeah, in an apt metaphor, it was just a bunch of people playing Risk with property that they would like to own but didn't really care about. Like, oh, I kind of want to own this, and I have these luxuries to throw away. But, like, those luxuries were lives. I mean, this this is, we're talking about a Europe in that is still ruled by kings. Yeah. And these are all kings who hadn't had a good war under their belt, so they got one, and it was the worst thing, like, in, in, in human history up until that point. And so this book, All Quiet on the Western Front, which I forget who wrote it. Quick editor's note, All Quiet on the Western Front was written by Eric Maria Remark. Or that. But, um, like, was was an attempt by a person who lived through the war to communicate it to the next generation. And, and speaking of people, while we're here, the director of this movie, Lewis Milestone, was like a super rad dude. Oh, hell yeah. He made this movie out of the book pretty directly, talking about movie-to-book adaptions, like, pretty straight adaption. And he just lived, like, a very cool life and was, like, a real outsider to... America for a long time. Mm-hmm. He was a Russian-born immigrant, and in, in in the aftermath of this movie and also World War One, was uh, blacklisted or graylisted from Hollywood for several decades because of his both his ties to Russia, but also his ties to liberal and socialist movements in the states. He was anti-war, and he made this movie anti-war, and it shows. Yeah, again, like this movie's anti-war theming is very apt and very poignant. And <laughs> I, I would say we had two problems with the movie. Yeah. One of the problems is a very specific scene, and the other problem is is a character choice. So which one do you want to talk about first? Let's talk about the character choice. So the main character of this movie is Paul, mm-hmm. um, who is one of these who is one of these nine boys. He's in fact he's called by the by the teacher who talks them all into killing themselves. Yeah. Um, he is called the leader of these boys. They all look to you. What choice are you going to make? And he's like, I'm going to go off to war. I'm going to do it. He monologues a lot so much in this movie he's like a shitty little hamlet just yeah parading around and only one of his monologues is even a little bit good and it, the thing that sucks though is i think this is one of the first movies we've seen not like ever but like in the movies we've watched so far for this podcast that genuinely has a pretty good balance of like theming and nuance not always for sure like they miss some steps along the way yeah for sure But when it comes to like war stuff they have very good and very poignant scenes that tend to be very quiet right um they have a scene where they're like laying out wire and all of these kids hands are just bleeding and like it hurts you it's a feeling like you can understand you've cut your hands before and it's very visceral and in that moment you're like this fucking sucks and even though conceptually if you know anything about the world war you know that there are worse things that are going to happen but it's like this is just what they have to do every night like these wounds are never allowed to heal and it's a very understandable feeling and they have lots of scenes like this that are really good and really subtle mm-hmm. and this kid will just monologue and ruin any subtlety and be like it- oh the pain of war but like no emotion it's the most monotone shit we we have the school of acting at the time was still very stage driven and so when he monologues he puts on this like voice this voice of that is kind of the classic american movie voice of like oh god please oh please don't let my friend die please god but it's weird because anytime he's not monologuing and none of the other actors ever yeah. talk like that they're they're acting like they're actually at war. Like yeah. the, 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 the kind of Papa War, uh, whose name is Kat, who is played by uh, Louis Volheim, 
um, never in the movie talks in that classic American voice. He has a very gruff voice. He's also not conventionally like Hollywood attractive at all. No. But he he's very charismatic. He's an amazing actor. Yeah. And all of his scenes are, he is playing subtle and warming. He is like gruff and definitely, he is a tough love character for sure. But like you, you love him, even though he's, the, the problem's. And the gruffness he has is, like, very war-driven. Like, he's very materialistic, but if he's not materialistic, then they starve, right? Mm -hmm. And so, to his gruffness, there is common sense. He's not gruff for no reason. Yeah. Which makes him very lovable. I think his character really portrays kind of, like, the the ideal, I, I think, to to the person who made this movie, the ideal... War dad. What, what you consider the ideal soldier, right? Somebody who does not believe in war mm -hmm. and does it well, not because... He believes in war, but because he wants to try to get as many of these kids home alive as he can. He also wants to get home. He yeah. has like a wife and kid. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. It's very interesting, right? Because all of the characters in the movie get a moment to talk about what they're going back to or what they're not going back to. Mm -hmm. And and he has that moment for about two seconds before yeah. he kind of is like, uh, how, how could you do this to me? Yeah. I think it comes off very like, I cannot think about it because it would destroy me is like the vibe I get from it, mm -hmm. which I think is super good. I like the idea of like, I cannot think about the comforts of home because then I would leave. Because then I would leave. I, I think it's one of those things where it's like it, this is a per this is just a person trying to do their best and that the best the, 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 the idea that the best soldier is just somebody trying to be human. Yeah. In a time and place when that is impossible. It's very good. 10 out of 10. He dies. I mean, everyone, everyone Spoiler, dies. I everyone think the dies. only person who, who I don't see die is the, or we don't hear has died is tall, lanky dude. Who loses his leg. I feel like it's heavily no, implied no, no. that he dies. The, no, no, no. The, the tall old guy. Oh, the really, really yeah, tall yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. He's the only one I think who... We don't hear or see about his death. Everyone else, oh yeah, and the 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 best friend who who yeah. we leave in the Catholic hospital, who was implied to have died, who was implied to have taken his life. Yeah, it's 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 wild. Like the the death toll in this movie is absurd. Game of Thrones got nothing on. Well, and all that's quiet on the Western front. Right, well, so that's this is an interesting thing actually because yeah. Game of Thrones has kind of a low, a pretty low death count I think yeah. compared to this movie. But that's because Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones is trying to trick you yeah. where it's like, oh, anyone can die, but not anyone can die. Right? Like there are characters in that book who are clearly important and they're too important to die mm -hmm. and and the the author could never kill them because that's not that then he wouldn't be able to write a satisfying story yeah and i think the benefit that this movie and this book have is that they're not trying to be a satisfying story they're trying to be an honest story and because of that like going back to the barbed wire scene like the first character that dies is the character that didn't want to go to war yeah and he gets a very ignoble death let's back up so we can talk about it there is a scene in which you have like the propaganda professor being like fuck this guy true that being like ah, uh, you you're men and you should fight for your fatherland and There's like nothing all better. of the masculine tones to you should protect your home because it's the honorable and noble thing to do and that's what real men do is they fight for their papas or whatever and he literally says like don't let your weak moms keep you home kill me when he um, says that we like cut to like a guy i think the main character being yeah. like hey mom i'm going to war and, she and she's crying. crying yeah in that scene another character is crying and it's like one of the good friends because he doesn't want to go to war because it's terrifying i'm like well, good on this yeah he's scared of it he's the most rational kid and he dies just the quickest like mm -hmm. he immediately first and and just out of nowhere yeah i i do a thing that i do enjoy about this movie 
is I think we see like a number of characters just break down and cry, and I think that's really nice. Yeah, it's that very, this is a movie that allows men to cry. I mean, it's very <laughs> realistic in that way. It's it's not portrayed as good, but it's not portrayed as bad either. It's just portrayed as it's a, it's a thing that happens. Yeah, you and, are at war, killing people and being killed. And Papa War even tells the main character at one point, like, it's okay, like it's happened to better men than us. Yeah, uh, there's another scene where they're like shooting out of the trenches, and there's just this kid crying into his gun, not shooting. That yeah, that's me. great. That that's good. <laughs> I mean, well, and you 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 do hear stories about like there are tons of stories of World War One of just like people being like i never I the never entire time i never fired i just sat there and hoped no one would notice let's talk about nationalism let's talk about nationalism let's we talk gotta, about nationalism this fucking professor is the worst character and part of the reason why like you hate him is because but by, by the end of the movie you realize what he's done which is he has consigned two generations of children to death yeah whether it is it is like a literal death or a, a mental one or a metaphorical one like he has ruined these children lying by to them lying to them about what it is that they are doing and what it is that war is because and and part of it is because he just doesn't know any better but but also it doesn't matter that there's he doesn't an insidiousness know. to it though right because he's not going out to war he's shipping off these children mm-hmm. Putting... It, it makes what he says seem like false because if he believed these things, he would be out there, right? Mm. And it's one of those things where like you, you look at it and you think like uh, it's crazy that their teacher is telling them this. But like, I don't know, I- I've had so many teachers who have either said that joining the military is a good idea or have outright told students that they had no future and should join the military. I do think, like, when you're initially watching this scene, it comes off as, like, ridiculous. You're like, oh, this is over the top. This is too much. And then you, like, think about reality, and it's like, we literally have, like, ROTC and NGTC and, like, fake militaries in our high school. And the whole point of them is to make the military fucking cool and to indoctrinate, like, 14-year-olds who don't know any better and be like, you can shoot a gun if you are part of the ROTC and... You get to be super cool. And, like, yeah, a lot of us made fun of those kids. But <laughs> Fucking nerds. Fucking nerds. It's true. It is indoctrination. And it is, like, when mm-hmm. you are a part of it, it's hard to get out of because this is where your friends are. Mm-hmm. And they're going to do it. So what are you going to do? And, like, even more insidious than that. Like, if you're poor, you will straight out just high schools will be like, hey, you're not going to be able to afford college, so you should sign up for the military. Like, they will give your number away yeah, to I, military we, we, people. Who who hasn't seen a military recruiter just hanging out during, like, the job fair or yeah. the college fair in high school? Like... And they and they and that's how they get you. They they know they know because they were probably they were also once the poor loser high school kid. Like they know how to go after those kids. Um, I've been talked to by many a recruiter. Same. Like, hey, you know, you're fucking like you're you're like a loser. Nobody, your family's poor. Like you should join the military. And like, and and, and I think I think it's very important to understand that this movie came out in 1930, 1929. 1929. Which means that like World War Two hadn't happened yet. So they they didn't know, right, like the road of nationalism ends in fascism. They didn't know that yet. And they still understood like nationalism fucking sucks. Yeah, it's bad and you shouldn't do it. And like if anybody's trying to tries to argue with me like, oh, no, well, only German nationalism was bad. Like, I'm sorry, but like, have you seen I don't know. Have you seen the world today? Like nationalism in the in the United States in particular has bred and led to some of the most horrific actions in these states and overseas. I mean, like, let's date this episode. There's never a more poignant time to look at nationalism than the, like, Proud Boys movement, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they are just nationalist, and that leads them to being fascist. Mm -hmm. 
to make a very direct line, like those things are bedmates. Yeah. Oh, it, I, I, I would say, bedpiles. yeah, it's it is a direct line. Like nationalism can only lead to fascism. Yeah, there, there is no, there is no good of it because the moment you do that, the moment you other anybody, like you are inclined to treat them as less than human, regardless of whether you think you're like an upstanding person. Yeah, and like there, there is a moment in this movie where they start talking about like, hey, like I never wanted to kill an Englishman because I'd never even seen one before I came out here. Yeah, what if they also don't want to kill me? And at the end of the day, those discussions don't matter, right? Because they're too far. Yeah, you don't actually get to sit down and have a chat with them um, unless you kill one of them and just hang around. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'll just sit here and monologue at you while you slowly die. You don't hate me, do you? I hate me. You're French and I'm German. That's what exactly what he sounds it's like. True. I I didn't know what he sounded like, but like I nailed it. Like I'm there. I have his voice like in my soul now. Hey, sorry for this not being a very fun episode, by the way, but this is a very like. It's a very serious movie. And it's also very good, so <laughs> there's not much There's to... one scene that's bad, and I'm, like, saving that for the end. We'll get, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll get, get... through all the serious things, and then we'll end with, like, my little rant. You wanted to talk about, or you had mentioned specifically, like, that this was a film from the German perspective. Yeah, so I, I, I talked a little, I said a little, a little bit earlier, like, oh, German nationalism is the yeah. only bad nationalism. I think, I do think that's a problem with this movie, is that because this movie is from the German side, and the Germans... More so than any other country lost World War One, Like, they hard lost. They lost the most privilege. They lost the most power. They, sh- they, they fucked it, which is depressing because they are not even the ones who started the war, right? Like, yeah. the Austrians started it. And like, oh, but actually, no, because Archduke Ferdinand was, was assassinated. Yeah, he was assassinated by, like, a fucking random dude with no ties to, with no actual ties to Serbia. Austria wanted a war. They started it. And then Germany was like, well, we have to defend Austria. They did not, but they decided to jump in because fucking Kaiser Wilhelm II was like, I need a war. Yeah. Like, they really walked into the, the this state walked into this situation. There, there is a, it, it is very easy to watch this movie and think to yourself, well, that's because they were Germans. And that is a very dangerous thing. And I think the reason it's dangerous is because even before World War One, Germans were seen as subhuman by the British and by the French and by and even by the Russians, who themselves were seen as subhuman by the French and the British, right? This idea that like, well, because we are our country, we are better than them. We won't make those same mistakes. Yeah. And that is fundamentally not true. We are all people. We are all capable of making the same mistakes and indeed have made those same mistakes just on a longer time scale. At the end of the day, the thing that really, really matters is not that they are German, but that they already fucked up. And we should be able to look at that and go, all right, let's not fuck up the same way. But there's like this barrier that is, well, obviously they're wrong and they're cowards and they're failing this war. Because they're German. Because they're German. German nationalism is bad, but the British one and British nationalism is is good. good. And I don't think that's the way Lewis intended for this to be taken. No, absolutely not. By any means. But I do think it is, I don't know if a flaw, but it is like a concern, right? That somebody could watch this movie and not understand the similarities or the hypocrisy in the statement. Well, only this is bad. Mm-hmm. What I, what we're doing is fine. And I do want to point out that like the the intent of this movie was not missed by the director or by the two lead actors. Louis Volheim was actually enlisted in the officer corps during World War One, and he he took a leave of absence and he elected not to go. Imagine, could you imagine being able to elect not to go to war? Later in his life, Louis Ayer, who plays Paul, uh, refused to sign up for World War II and actively rallied, not against fighting Germany, but just against 
war. He eventually did uh, enlist as a medical officer, but was very vocal about being anti-killing. In spite of that, I do want to point out that there is a difference between being Mm anti-fascist and being anti-war, right? Killing Nazis is good. That does not make war good, right? Yeah. Like this is these are very this is a very easy thing, mm-hmm. you know. Sorry if you don't get it that you're so dumb, but like he was shunned by his acting mates and by Hollywood for that. He never was as famous as he was before that, and that takes a good amount of self reflection on the part of like this incredibly white dude yeah. to do something like that. I don't trust any modern Hollywood actor to be like, oh, I played a I played a doctor, so I get how hard it is, and that that doctors are good. Wait, wait. Wait, what the girl the, the the titular example that happened on social media was the girl who played the person who played the Hunger Games was like super Jennifer Republican. Lawrence yeah. yeah and and like super is like super conservative and supports all of these like conservative things and recently it was like oh no but I didn't I, I didn't know and oh this 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 presidency has really changed my opinion of like what conservatism is like has it you're still like you're still conservative you just as a side note I. A quick preface. I do not think the Hunger Games is like the titular. Oh, this is what it means and terrible. Like I think the Hunger Games sucks, but it is a point. Yeah, I mean, example. It, it has its own problems about like what revolution. Quote, revolution unquote, is. is super white, according to Hunger Games. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it's really cool that this actor actually learned something from this fucking role. Yeah, didn't he didn't learn how to act, but you know, he <laughs> <laughs> learned something. Speaking of this movie and it doing things good. There are these boots. There are these, oh, these, these dead boots. man walking ass boots. These boots are amazing. This is probably, it's probably, you could have, you could have just made this movie, the boots. Uh, it's true. It would have been a lot shorter. This scene though, very good. So the well, series of scenes. Yeah. This themeology. This starts in like the first 10 minutes of the yeah. movie when they're in like basic training and this guy puts on these boots and he's like, look at these boots. These boots are great for stepping in. I got My these new boots. uncle gave me these boots and they're so nice. And I was like, mm. then that kid dies. And so they steal his boots and a new kid's like, damn, I stole these boots from my dead friend and I don't really give a shit. And then that kid dies and you've caught... It literally, as soon as that kid's like, damn, all I care about are how nice these boots are. We just see a montage of these boots and everybody who wears them just dying, 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 dying. It is amazing. So good. This movie, I again, I think has some of the best theming we've seen out of any movie so far. I think it is the... Of all the movies that we've seen, this movie could come out today and people yeah. would be like, oh, I, damn, that's a movie. I live with the fear that this is the best war movie we will see. Yes. I have seen a lot of war movies and I am not a fan of them. I do not enjoy them one iota. I, I'm struggling to think of a war movie that I think is better than this one that I have seen because okay. this is the only one that sticks to its anti-war message and never wavers, never consigns ground. Yeah. War is bad. War is always bad, and there are no heroes. Nobody... And I think it's a thing... It's my biggest problem with war movies, is that war movies tend to make heroes. Even if their point is, like, war sucks, it still makes a hero out of whoever the main character is. Like, ah, this person's still doing great feats and shooting so good. And this movie never falls into that trap. You kind of have a main character in Paul, but... Even... Paul's not especially good at fighting. The thing he excels at if he excels at anything is lying like that's the skill he learns is how do i look my friend in the face and tell him that that guy's not dead 
Because mm-hmm. I know he's dead, but it'll crush him to know that. Yeah. And like, that's not an exciting skill, right? Like, that's not a hero skill. And so I don't think this movie falls into the trap of making war look like, oh, it's so tough. But if, you, if you're if you the one in a million hero, like, you're amazing. Lots of other war movies do that. Any other war movie and the character who's always writing, who's always talking, who's mm-hmm. always waxing poetic in your mind is the author. Yeah. Oh, this is the author analog. This is him. He is the person mm-hmm. who is a stand-in for the author. And so naturally, like the author, he's going to make it through to the end and mm-hmm. he's gonna sit down and at the end of the movie he's gonna look at his wife and be like you know honey i think i'm gonna do it i'm gonna sit down and i'm gonna write about all the things that we did i'm gonna write a book and i'm gonna call it all quiet on the western front somebody's gotta remember my boys somebody's gotta remember the war the way it actually was and i'm gonna do it but that doesn't happen he He dies one of the least noble deaths in this movie is his he gets no dialogue he gets no fanfare and he doesn't he doesn't even get another soldier to cry over him yeah he dies alone in a trench thinking that everyone he knows is dead and nobody knows him anymore Mm -hmm. and that's true (laughs) and it is no other movie would today would be that brave Even Game of Thrones wouldn't be that brave. As bad as that ending was, they wouldn't actually kill everyone. So I think this movie, speaking of how it's a really good war movie, sets up, I think, a lot of the tropes we will see other war movies do in the future. This is a very... This sets up the numbers other war movies will follow, right? Like, these are... This was huge, and other things are going to replicate that. This, This includes the really fucking shitty trope Oh, these boys went out to war. Now they're going to harass foreign women for sex. Mm-hmm. And it is a scene that is painful in this movie. because It, it is so long. It's, it's two scenes. It's two scenes. It doesn't further the plot at all. It doesn't establish really any character traits at all. Other um, than these, these boys, Randy. There is a way to do that that is good. And we'll touch on that afterwards. But let's talk about this scene in which... They literally are harassing these women who want nothing to do with them. Straight up just catcalling them. Straight up catcalling them, literally showing their bare asses. And Mm. these women are walking away very annoyed. And then they like pull out fucking bread and sausage and are like, hey, will you fuck us because you're starving? Well, yeah, if we feed you. Will you have sex with us? And like we're not exaggerating. That's the scene. That that is the scene. And that and I think the thing about it is, is that the movie still dares to think of this encounter as romantic after that. Yeah, the, our main boy Paul, um, like, it's like, oh, I'll never forget about you. And and, and I, it's it's framed as being romantic, and it's also framed as being funny. Like, oh, look at this joke. These boys are men now, and it doesn't care about these women. The yeah. the movie wants it to be romantic. And I don't know why, because clearly, nah, this is this is a transaction. Awkward, and it didn't need to be there. We didn't need to see this. It's gross. And there is a power imbalance so much in this scene of like, it is terrible that these women are starving and you went, well, I have an opportunity. I can take advantage of these people. Mm-hmm. And it is just, war is bad, but this is not a symptom of war, right? This is a symptom of men. I, I agree with you. I, the huge problem is that it just it doesn't have anything to do with anything no, else. No, it doesn't add or build to anything. It's just, well, this happened in war, so this will happen in our movie. Mm-hmm. And they have a scene in which I think they do a pretty good job of exemplifying, like, these are randy boys because they've never had yeah, sex. Yeah, the, the, the scene, like, it's way before this. It's like... way before this. So there's a, there's a scene where there's, like, a poster of this famous woman, and it's like, oh, like, 
three months ago she like sang here and they never took the poster down and then you so you have like these two teens who are like fake hitting on her and they're like joking and it's really and it's a good scene because we're learning about these characters and it's humanizing these boys and it's genuinely funny because they're not being like gross when they hit on them or hit on this fake poster like they're genuinely being pretty like respectful and like trying to woo her rather than nakedly showing their asses and catcalling her which is what they do to actual human women yeah they they like joke around at one point the because the woman on the poster is like next to a man at one point the Paul's friend is like well you're not gonna get anywhere with that lad hanging off her shoulders and so he just walks up and tears half of the poster off and the scene is framed very interestingly too, right? Because we're not yeah. actually looking at them. We're looking at the poster and then there's like a mirror next to the poster where we see And them. then we see the boys in the mirror. It's and that's so really good. interesting framing. It's so good. Such good and framing. It could have just been that scene, right? Now we understand that these lads are horny. Well, and even earlier, even earlier than that, like way earlier in the yeah. movie, we have a scene of the boys being like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a girlfriend? And then one of the characters is like, pulls out this like ring the size of his fucking face and is like, if I ever found a woman, I'd want her to have garters this big. And be like, damn, that guy wants thick thighs and that's pretty good i feel like that one's on the edge of like the titular like mulan a girl i'm looking for scene yeah and it's like eh, this is a little weird but sure it's one of those things where it's like this movie and i think any movie that is trying to is like striving to be historically accurate you need you aim for doing it in a way that is respectful mm-hmm. but also true to what it was yeah so and that scene is fun the garter joke 10 out the tar- of 10 the garter joke is funny the poster scene 10 out Great. of 10 I didn't need, need to, to see these see, women yeah. prostituted. Yeah, there are ways that they could have done, they could have showcased that type of transactional mm-hmm. encounter that, that did happen in ways that were more respectful. Were more subtle. They could have equalized the power dynamic more. Yeah, like, that would have been great. If these women weren't starving, right? Like, that would have helped because then I wouldn't be like, well, you can die or you can fuck me, <laughs> right? Like, there are ways to have these transactions. Also, they could have just gone to a Bordeaux. Like, there were prostitute houses but yeah, no, for sure. Like there, like there are there, ways to equalize that power yes, structure. Yes, and I think that's the thing is at the end of the day, this is just this this movie. Unfor- like unfortunately, does try to frame this as being like a romantic. Like, oh, isn't this um, isn't this beautiful? It's like no, this is transactional. It's gross. It's and, gross. And honestly, like it is a thing to be ashamed of, and yeah, yeah, the yeah. character like is not ashamed, ashamed of, of it. it. It would be something, right? If like they left and they were like, "Fuck, what did we do?" Mm-hmm. Also, in the movie, later, he, like, meets his mom for, like, a couple seconds, and yeah. she literally, like, slut-shames these women. She's like, don't sleep with those fucking hussy foreigners. Those foreigners, and he's like, oh, don't worry, mom, the there women. There are no women where I am. There are no, what a, well, I don't even know what a girl is. And oh. the sister's like, hey. Yeah, and it's just like, hey, movie, mm, let's not. Yeah. Like, we, these women were starving, let's not have a scene like this. Yeah. Let's move on to the scene where, like, he goes on leave. Well, this is the crux of the movie. This is when the thesis question gets answered. The question is, is there a place in society for these for these boys? And the mom scene happens, and nothing constructive happens there, so we're going to move on. So he meets up with his dad, and all of his dad's friends, and they're having a beer. in these fucking, like, beer steins that are, like, so <laughs> ornate. Like, they look like somebody fucking tore them off the Sinstein Chapel and was like, I'm going to drink beer out of this. It's true. And, and the best line happens. Oh my goodness. The best worst line. This guy just bragging. Oh, the boys on the front, they have the best food. Oh, we have to suffer here. We eat the worst. You, Only it, the best for our boys. This motherfucker like literally drinks out of his fucking like a golden toilet mug and is like fucking embalmed with the tears of God. Like you don't know how hard it is for us here on, on, in, the, in, in the back. We've instituted rations. Oh, 
And it's like, my dude, these boys are starving. Yeah, literally. These boys have regularly eaten sawdust. Yeah, literally at one point, like, they're, like, they're, they're like, about to kill a man over beans. Yeah. And it's, it's awful, because you have to watch Paul just fucking sit here and take it, because he can't say anything to these men. Because he's got to be, like, a good soldier boy and strong and whatever. It is very much adult men playing risk with these people's lives. Oh, if, if they just broke through the front, oh, it should be easy. The whole movie, they haven't moved. Yeah. Right? Like, they've moved forward and back and forward and back. They haven't moved a fucking inch. And the over four years, and these fucking old-ass men are talking about how Taking any... Taking Paris. We're going to take Paris. Yeah. Just as soon as those boys buck up and do their job. Yeah. Oh, man. Yep, 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 yep. I was half expecting Paul to, like, flip a fucking table. I was expecting Paul to just, like, grab his father's face and just slam it into the table. John Wick style. He just you leaves. want him to do more. You want him to maybe murder these old men. But he just leaves. This movie doesn't give you the satisfaction, right? Yeah. You're not Because, like Paul, you're not allowed to be satisfied. You just have to live with the fact that these people, these men, get to play war while you're out there living. And then we go to propaganda professor. Oh, he goes back to school. Like every good 17-year-old should. <laughs> what could they ever teach me? Uh, they never taught me how to make a fire in the rain or how to light a cigarette while the wind is blowing in my face. They never taught me to stab a man in the stomach and not the ribs. Because it'll get stuck. So he goes back to propaganda, Professor. He's giving the exact same speech, right? Which is so good. It's so good that it's the exact same speech. And and the camera cuts to these literal, I like literal children. These have to be like... 12 year olds. They have to be babies, like literally just out of the womb. They are so young. And I have to believe the movie did this on purpose because I remember like these actors mm -hmm. like are, are not that young. This camera cuts to these 16 year old babies. You're like, oh my God, this guy is killing them. Yeah. He's murdering these kids. So he turns to Paul and he's like, oh, tell them how great it is on the front. Tell them what a hero you are. Tell, tell them about the victories and the lives you've saved. And Paul's like, I can't, I can't do that. Like, I, I don't have those stories. Like, I just can't. And this professor, like, pushes him and pushes him and pushes him until he he's just honest. And he's like, it's fucking awful. Like, it's terrible. You go out there to die and you watch your friends die and it's a terrible time. Um, And this is the only good monologue he has is this monologue. It is. This is the only time he should have monologued, but this monologue and is good. It's also the only time he monologues and he doesn't do that stupid voice. It's true. He, he is like, like, this actor is really feeling it. yeah. And, it, and a thing that is frustrating, but a thing that I think is very apt, these 16-year-olds are like, you're a fucking coward. Mm -hmm. Get out of here. We're, we're not, not going to listen to you. We're not going to be like you. Yeah. We're, we're going to be, be real. Brave. We're going to yeah. be real men. We're going to be brave. Unlike you. And it's endlessly infuriating, but, like, that is how it is. Like, we can look at America and, like, we still have all of this indoctrination, like, pro-war things. And then we have vets who are like, it fucking sucks and I have PTSD and nobody's here to support me. Yeah. And we're still sending people and, out. And, you know, you get, you have these fucking kids, like, like playing Call of Duty being like, well, no, I could do it. I could do it better. I could do you murder so it, good. You just did it bad. Yeah. It, like, nothing has changed. No. This, this, like, this movie is, like, such a warning for, like, what this does to, to a country, what this does to a generation of yeah. kids and we haven't learned it at all. absolutely not and it's amazing because paul's reaction to just all of this is i can't fucking be here i have i this I is, have to go back to the war this is worse yeah being home is worse i do think it's a combination of like how bad it must be 
to be out there, but also how bad he's being treated back home. Yeah. He would rather like, die. Like, that is the choice. It is, it's going back out there, but it's just dying. Like, I'd rather because, die out there well, than be home here. Because at least out there, he doesn't have to play human, right? Yeah. He can just, he can be soulless. He can be unliving. He can be the walking zombie that he is inside because that's where, because no one's going to judge him for it. Yeah. He doesn't have to lie about, like, war and the valor of it and just have these absurd standards. The the last 10 minutes of this movie happened at a fucking pace, right? Because he goes back to the war. Mm -hmm. He has been, at some point before this, wounded and goes to the hospital with one of his friends. And his friend doesn't make it out of the hospital. He gets amputated. But he does make it out. Yeah. When he gets back, everyone in the old company is is dead. He shows up to the second brigade again, which is the part of the brigade he's in, and it's all new faces. It's It's basically all the 16-year-olds he just saw. I legitimately think it's the same actors. Same. Well, and the first thing he asks, he asks the kid, like, where's the rest of second company? He's like, oh, well, there's only, how do you say, like, there's only, there used to be 150 of us, but there's only eight of us now. I think he said 80, but yeah. Uh, 80, but don't worry, they're sending more, so we'll be back up to 150 again in no time. You're like, fuck. More babies. Um, he eventually finds some like old souls who proceed to die in front of him. Oh, uh, he well, he finds Cat specifically, yeah. who's out there like still scavenging for food, doing his best to keep these kids fed and alive. Mm-hmm. And Even my, though he just watched like yeah, the last say, of his company die. Mind, yeah, mind you, he has not succeeded, right? Like in keeping any of these kids alive. Alive, and they're out there talking, and there's this like bomber above them, and they're just like whatever. Either it hits us or it doesn't. Yeah. As they're walking away, Cat gets hit in the leg. So Paul picks him up, puts him on his shoulder, um, and then another bomb goes off right behind them, and some of the shrapnel just, like, fucking... Kills Cat. While Paul's carrying him. Paul doesn't even notice. Paul just doesn't notice and keeps talking to him and, like, carries him to the medical tent. And the guy's like, oh, you could have saved your time. He's dead. He's been dead for a while. And it's rough. It is the most heart-wrenching part of this movie, and there are still two minutes left and you're like fuck like what else could happen paul dies and he died paul dies and i his death is amazing because it is like again the the most ignoble death there's no one who cares about him nobody's gonna cry over his body he is sitting in a trench and he sees outside of his foxhole like a butterfly which which is is clearly like a metaphor for home Mm -hmm. but it's more than just like a metaphor for home right it's the metaphor for the home he remembers because the home now is not the home he wants to go back to right it is a home of the past i mean it's it's i think that butterfly is really pulling a lot away because it's kind of also a metaphor for for life for new life right like the, the thing that is on the other side of this battle which is being able to live again being able to be human and he reaches for it but he can't quite can't quite grab it so he crawls like over the foxhole and just gets fucking sniped yay and and that's it. That's the end of the movie. It's Ooh, over. We've done it. This movie won an Oscar for Best Picture and Best Director. Yeah. And of of the movies we've seen, it is the only one I think that has earned at least one of those. Agreed. This is the only movie that gets to keep its Oscar. It gets to keep one of it. I'm not going to give it both because it's a little much. I would give this Best Director. Yeah, for sure. I don't know much about movies that came out in the 30s. We're not saying another 30s movie deserves it. We're just saying this movie is one Oscar. This movie this movie definitely earns... It earns its place in history. Yeah. Um, I just checked and, like, this, this movie is still, like, very, very high on a lot of people's, like, greatest of all times lists. And a lot of people's, like, top war movies. Like, this one's... I feel like that just really speaks to how bad war movies are, but, you know. Maybe, but I think it also just does speak to the staying power of this one, right? Yeah. Like... I think it speaks to the fact that this lesson hasn't been learned at all. Like, nationalism mm-hmm. is still the threat it was then that it is now. Yeah, and, I mean, like, I guess the message of this movie will always be pertinent as long as there are kids dying overseas, right? Yeah. 
As long as we are encouraging kids to kill to, themselves. To kill themselves. So do you want to know how old these actors were? Uh, yeah, let's, let's play. I, I do. We're going to play. This is not as fun of a game because there are no, like, named women characters in this movie. Starving Girl 1, Starving yeah, Girl Starving 2, Girl, Starving Girl Yeah, let's, let's look at how old was Starving Girl 5. How old was Louis Volheim, who played Papa Cat, Papa War Cat? Papa War Cat is 50. 50. 50. That's, the, that's your final answer? Yeah. Papa Wolcat was born in... 1880, which mm-hmm. means that in 1929, he would have been 49. Hey! So you you nailed it on the head. Louis Volheim actually passed away in 1931. So like Ooh. two years after this movie, uh, tragically, I, they believe of stomach cancer. Sucks, but like, damn, he got, he got to give us like this amazing film. This is this is a very good performance. Um, he's pulling a lot of weight to, in this movie. I, I think he's like up there with like... Uh, dad from Fiddler on the Roof of just like all-time greatest dads. Honestly, right? yeah. He's in that top five. Lou Ayers, who played Paul. Uh, I want to say he's old? like 30. 30. 30. Is that your final answer? Yeah. Louis Frederick Ayers III. Yeah. Was born in 1908, which means that he would have been 21. Damn, I was I was not close with that 21. one. 21. He was a boy. I was thinking he was a little younger. I was thinking maybe he was actually 19. Oh. But because mm-hmm. he does look so, he looks so young in this movie. Even Even at the end of the movie when he's like old, Braggled. he just looks like a young person with like stubble, right? He doesn't yeah. look, th- there is one scene in this movie where he does look really, really old, which is when he's like standing at the doorway looking at his mom yeah. in his, like, soldier's outfit, and you're like, fuck, he looks old. That's literally the, when I, what I was thinking of when I was like, there he is. But, yeah, like, that is the oh, and that is the oldest he looks in that. But, yeah, he was 21. So, yeah, so he was about the age of his character at the end of the movie. Yeah. 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 Right. So, but... So, actually, what was your favorite scene in the movie? Ooh, that's, a, that's actually a tough question. That is actually a tough question. What is my favorite... See, I, I can, I think, I'm, I'm going to split this up into two categories, which is slightly cheating. I'm going to say that my favorite scene, I honestly think his final monologue. Okay. I just think that, like, the, the both the writing of mm-hmm. what that monologue is, what he's saying, and the performance, it, it all just really comes together. The whole movie kind of comes together to that climax. I think it it works. And and it, it is definitely, I think, to me, the one of the most moving parts of that movie. That and was only one. My favorite shot. Oh, I was mo- also going to split it up into scene and shot. Yeah, my favorite shot of the movie is the shot where one of the French soldiers is trying to climb over the barbed wire. This is a real blink and you'll miss it. A shell lands right on top of him. And for like a split second, all you see are two arms that are like severed yeah. at the elbow holding onto this barbed wire. And it is grisly. It is yeah. grisly. My favorite scene, we already talked about it, but it's just like the boots. Um, that, mm-hmm. that series we have looking at these like fresh faces, putting on these old boots is so good. Oh yeah. It is, it's such good a shorthand. It's, it's a good metaphor. It, it does a lot for this movie in a way that I just don't think any, any of the other movies we've watched until now have had the chops to do that scene. I don't think any of the movies that we've watched have had like the, the prescience to do something so symbolically weighted. Yeah. Right? But I honestly think like that scene is like to today's standards, a very good scene. Like, it is an undated scene. Yeah. I think my favorite moment is is the moment where they're eating beans and we find out that they have spoon forks. Oh my god, I forgot about the spoon forks. I want to stress, they are not sporks, which are the worst invention in the history of man. One side of them is a spoon and the other side is a fork. 
like we, like a cat dog. We find this out because one of the men is like it takes a fucking spoonful of beans, turns it over, stabs, stabs like, and then puts it into his mouth, and you're like, oh my god, Spoonfork. the future is today. It just brought me so much joy in a moment that was very sad. It did mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, yeah. I will say, all things considered, this is as much as I enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. This is a very this is a war movie. This is a war movie. If that is not a thing you are into. You're not going to be into it. Yeah. As a person who is not into war movies, this is definitely like one of the best, but it makes it very boring to talk about. Yeah, I think, I, I don't know that I would say I'm into war movies. This is a very emotionally evoking movie if that's a thing you're into. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess what I will say is, is that this movie is not tourism. Mm, yeah, there you go. And and this movie evokes a setting, a place, and it does it very well. And it does it very, for for most thing, for most of its runtime, does it very respectfully. Yeah. It missteps. There are scenes that, like, miss the point. And there are, there are smaller scenes that miss the point. Um, there There's some overacting in this movie that is a little bit jarring yeah. when it happens. Because you're like, whoa, where did that come from? You really do be acting like that sometimes. You really do be acting like that. So not, not every, there are, it missteps for sure. Because it is a product of its time that didn't really know PTSD and stuff was. Mm-hmm. However, it still holds up. And if you want to watch a war movie, I can see why this is on people's lists. Yeah. So, we've been your critics. I'm Mavis Evergreen. You can find me at AllegoriaAwkward on Twitter. My name is Andy Reyes. You can find me on Twitter at Royalty underscore Valens. And you can also find my other podcast that's a little less serious over at Direct2.video. If anybody knows where we can get a copy of The Divine Lady without buying it for $12. Yeah, if you have a copy of it that you're willing to just like drop a link to in my in my DMs, go ahead and slide in there. And uh, next time, join us in the year 1931 for Cimarron, the Western directed by Wesley Ruggles. Aren't you excited? Oh, we're to finally. Look at the Southwest. Like, we're finally going to get a movie with minorities in it. Oh, no! No, don't add music. It helps me when I edit. <laughs> All quiet on the Western Front. <laughs> you can add music.